Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Kernels of Truth, brought to you by Progress Kentucky. We've got a wonderful episode for you tonight, and you're going to love it. I'm filling in just for a little bit for Mr. Aaron Viles, our normal host. But after we check in with tonight's co-host, we'll do our political news roundup, and then we'll be joined by the chair of the Fayette County Democratic Party, Josh Mears, to discuss what exactly many Progress Kentucky supporters got themselves into by raising their hands to help local Democrats. Then we've got a special Doug's Price is Right, following up on some important impacts of the Citizens United SCOTUS ruling. But first, our quick plug for Progress Kentucky. We're an all-volunteer campaign committed to turning Kentucky purple by supporting compassionate policies, which put people first. If you care about that mission and want to help us meet our goal of raising $1,500 for our current organization effort, please head to our Secure Act Blue page. Uh, the link is in front of you there and make a donation. We take $5, $50, $500, whatever you're able to commit is wonderful and much appreciated. So, um, right now, who and where and what does your protest sign say today? And yes, you, you out there on the internet, you're not off the hook. So if you're watching this right now or listening to us, I want you to read where you are watching from and what your sign says. So right now, mine says, Derby is over, but we've got more to do in Kentucky. What about you, Miss Annabelle, my wonderful co-host for tonight? Hey, I'm Annabelle. I'm coming from Woodford County right now. Um, my sign's a little basic. It's just going to be like a little Black Lives Matter moment because I feel like it's been a while since that's been trending. So I feel like that definitely needs to like get back going again because it still definitely applies. Okay, I really like that one. What about you, Ken, our great producer? Hello, uh, I'm Ken Howell coming to you from Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, I didn't make this protest sign up that I have today. I'm blatantly stealing it from a Google search result that I saw and I thought it was pretty funny, but I'm, it's a little dark. Anyway, Next month, one month from, from now, on the 5th of June, it's World Environment Day. Uh, some scientists say that we only have 30 years to get our act together with carbon dioxide and the pollutants that we do that are changing our environment. So my protest sign is, let's see if I can get this. Sorry, sorry. The, 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 <laughs> the dinosaurs thought they had more time too. And then I drew a little photo of a little tiny planet. It's our little blue dot with some dinosaurs on it. Okay, so we're going to move now into the story of the week. And I know we've got a great story coming up for you with Miss Annabelle. Okay, so. Um, hey. hey, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> All right, I'll be honest. I'm not as prepared for this question as Ken. I didn't do a drawing, but I was just racking my brain to come up with a sign. So I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna bust in. Um, so I'm Aaron, I'm in uh, Childsburg outside of Lexington. Well, it's in Lexington. It's just a side of Lexington. Um, it, you, you keep driving, you feel like you're about out of Lexington, but then there it is. Uh, all right, and my sign says today, uh, it's just the thumbs up. It's like the icon uh the thumbs up icon facebook uh because i was very relieved that donald trump is not going to be back on facebook i was excited that their board of whatever they created uh decided to follow their own rules and keep that uh that guy off facebook so at any rate uh keeping me on facebook for i guess a little bit longer anyway uh and speaking of facebook we only have two two viewers right now and I think that's like me and Annabelle. I don't know. So you should share the video right now. You should share this. 
uh, you know, if you're if you're on with us, which maybe it's just me and Annabelle, so we should share it. Um, but yeah, we should definitely uh, try to get those viewers up, huh? Uh, I know we get a lot of views on the the rewatching, but come on, it, come on, folks, let's get some eyeballs on this effort. All right, uh, that's it. Out now. I'll just you know pretend pretend I didn't cut off Annabelle just a minute ago. Uh, Annabelle, let's hear about that story. Okay. So Mitch is taking issue of history and how much history is being told through the eyes of the oppressed. He just sent a letter along with 38 other senators to the, the, the Department of Education demanding the 1619 project be removed from all lists of resources that the department lists as examples which challenge systemic inequities in our nation and the narratives which drive them. Um, the 1619 project is a long form general journalism project developed by writers from the New York Times and New York Times Magazine, which aims to reframe the country's history by placing consequences of slavery and the contributions of African-Americans at the very center of the United States national narrative. Their project was first published in the New York Times Magazine in August of 2019 for the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first enslaved African-Americans to colonial Virginia. Um, um, Rand Paul also joined the conversation at a rally on Wednesday. He vaguely referred to the 1619 project as he announced he was running in 2022. Um, his quotes were, we're now told the whole country is crumbling. We should teach about how white people are terrible, Paul said. Um, how Coca-Cola says you need to bow down and say, I am white, I'm sorry. But it all gets back to this sort of narrative that it's a bad place. We're not a bad place, I think, or a good people. He then continued on with, I don't think one generation can be responsible for another generation in any form or fashion. It wouldn't make any sense. Is half of Barack Obama's family supposed to pay the other half? It seems a bit racist to me. So he's already off to a great start with his campaign. Wow, I love that story, Annabelle. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, we just we just never seem to the history. Everything is it, everything we've been brought up with is different, and the sixteen nineteen rule it needs to go into effect so that our young people can learn the right history. Aaron? Yeah, I think this is, you know, this is absolutely the Republicans playing to their base, right? So this is just grievance politics 101. It's kind of like all they've got, right? They're all just, you know, such bitter victims, right? So the left is making, oh, they're the real racist because they talk about race, right? I think that's the kind of standard line for a lot of, um, you know, uh, Republican politicians uh, and their supporters. And, you know, the idea that we can't kind of critically examine our history uh, without, you know, uh, saying America is horrible and America is racist is, is laughable. But, you know, you think about the response to President Biden's, you know, first uh, address to a joint session of Congress. Uh, and what was that response? Like, America is not a racist nation. Like this is, it's, it is an applause line for the right. They really want to discuss it. They really want to elevate that issue. They want to, you know, make all their white supporters feel okay. You know, like, you know, they don't want to, you know, question white privilege. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what they've got. You know, they don't have policy to fight on. All they've got is kind of the cultural wars. And when you got somebody like, you know, Mitch McConnell wading into it, who usually is like, likes to be kind of above that stuff and just be about power politics. I mean, he knows that he needs to kind of rile up his base to keep them on his side. Uh, so yeah, pathetic, really. It's pathetic. Like that we can't question, you know, and actually get a more realistic telling of history. You know, it has to be some kind of propaganda about these amazing freedoms Right, like that's that's outrageous, and we should, you know, we should do better than that. We should expect better than that, but we won't get better than that from the Republicans. That's for sure. Ken, what did you think? You know, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. You, 
You know, Aaron, like um, when I was in school, I know the dinosaurs were, you know, roaming the earth as well. However, uh, all through school, you know, I thought George Washington was like the greatest man ever. They didn't tell us the truth that he was a slave owner and very abusive to his slaves. And then what did we hear about Chris? Uh, what was his name? Christopher. um I can't remember his name, but he was a very, very famous black man that worked along with them for the, um, what do we want to call that? Uh, we all knew back then, the British are coming, the British are coming. So, you know, we need to have refined uh, educational issues so that all of us as Americans can know the truth. And it's not saying that you just want to bash every white person. You know, that's not what it is. So I appreciate this story tonight. The the way I, 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 I kind of, um, I'm disturbed by this story because I, I was thinking about the civics class when I was in, in school and they don't really teach slavery in America until the Civil War. You know, they might teach it with Henry Clay, which is a local politician. And he made a thing called the Great Compromise compromise which you know allowed for slavery to continue um but they didn't they didn't teach uh really a whole lot of the history uh so i i didn't i didn't really get the whole thing i just it was it was the civil war and that's when slavery was bad unlike it being terrible the whole time Yeah, that, that is a good point. Um, hey, so I think we're going to transition on to an, another story. Uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about that Kentucky, you know, featuring loudly and proudly in a kind of big national political story. Uh, the, 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 the rally that, uh, that Bernie Sanders came to, uh, and we had our field reporter, uh, Annabelle, was there in the crowd uh, tell us a bit about it. How did it feel to you know, be there in a kind of post-pandemic? Well, not post-pandemic because we're not really post-pandemic, but you know, in a big crowd. Um, and what was it like? It was crazy, but like a good crazy. I definitely missed the whole hundreds of people being together type of vibe. Um, that was great. Um, a lot of people like myself I didn't actually have tickets to I just kind of showed up and they let me in so very grateful for that um the whole thing was very COVID friendly outside of course um lots of masks social distancing we loved it everyone just was really using their brains so even better um myself like most people I mainly went for the whole Bernie aspect of it I definitely would not drive to Google just to see Booker, um, but love him too. They're both great. Um, I just, my favorite part was definitely just watching Bernie completely destroy Mitch McConnell. I think more people should come to Kentucky to do that because that was just hysterical. It was amazing. Um, I just think hearing it from someone so big and important really made it maybe just hit a little different. Like, oh, everyone knows how bad he is. Like everyone's always known, but just like he reiterated that really well. That's awesome. Uh, cool. So uh, I think we're going to move on. I've got a uh, story that's, you know, Ken and I both saw this in the paper uh, and thought it was something that, you know, the state needs to know about. Uh, specifically, it was a marathon refinery in eastern Kentucky, which is uh, putting out massive amounts of benzenes, uh, benzene in uh, Boyd County. So benzene is really, it's not a chemical you want in the air you breathe. It's a toxic chemical proven to cause cancer. Uh, primarily, uh, leukemia uh, is how they see benzene act on the human body. Uh, unfortunately, a new report from the Environmental Integrity Project uh, which is an air pollution watchdog group that was founded and staffed by former uh, EPA officials. So it looked at release data, found a refinery in uh, Catlettsburg in eastern Kentucky that was releasing benzene in the community at a rate far uh, above safe levels 
far beyond the EPA's limits, actually 53% over the EPA kind of action uh, levels. So it's really important work to tell that story. Uh, you know, they had a list of, I think, about 17 uh, refineries that were really problematic. Uh, and, you know, Kentucky, you know, known for our coal in terms of fossil fuel and, you know, how we are impacting our environment. But a lot of folks wouldn't have thought about our refineries, but this one uh, is definitely a bit of a problem. You know, sits on a list with a lot of Texas refineries, a lot of Alabama, or, uh, Louisiana refineries, the more kind of commonly known uh, areas where the oil industry is so active and, uh, you know, poison communities. But that's happening in eastern Kentucky, too, because, you know, why stop with just coal? Uh, but the Environmental Integrity Project is uh, headed by Eric Schaefer, who some people might remember him, probably not, you know, Annabelle. Uh, he made headlines 20 years ago when he resigned from the EPA as the head of civil enforcement under uh, George Bush. Uh, of course, the former uh, oil executive, George Bush, who was working to undermine and roll back the Clean Air Act. So I, that's when he kind of first came on the scene, uh, to me at least, when I was doing environmental work back then. Uh, now he's pointing out some of the flaws and how air pollution regulations work and the failure of EPA's enforcement mechanisms to crack down on these polluters, uh, such as Marathon, you know, which this is part of a larger story for sure. Um, you know, according to this report, about 11,500 residents live within three miles of this Marathon refinery. And of that, 45% are living below the national poverty level. Uh, there was a local environmental group uh, who helped in the release of the report. An organizer for the Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition said, Unfortunately, due to high poverty levels in this area, the health risks of toxic chemicals like benzene are often ignored. Once again, Appalachian communities are considered acceptable sacrifice zones. The report has a number of different findings and recommendations, and there's just a couple I'd like to, I'd like to, to share with you. Uh, nearly two-thirds of those living within three miles of the 17 refineries with the highest benzene levels are people of color. Uh, almost half of those people live below the poverty line. Uh, they may lack access to affordable health care, are more likely to be plagued by asthma, COVID-19, or other immune deficiencies that make them especially vulnerable to air pollution. Uh, this report just underscores the Biden administration needs to bring environmental justice to these communities, which have already waited far too long. And anyone who lives near these refineries or is concerned about the health threats from, an air, from the air pollution can help elevate the issue by emailing or writing the EPA Administrator Michael Reagan. And Michael Reagan is, you know, new to the job. He was the top uh, environmental enforcement um, official in North Carolina for a number of years and got high marks there. Uh, but ask him to weigh in. Ask your local congressional representatives uh, you know, to, to bring attention and bring uh, some focus to these pollution areas. So I hope folks in Eastern Kentucky can act on that. We can do that as well uh, on their behalf for sure. But it's a huge issue, one that needs to get more attention. The environmental justice angle is something that you know, President Biden's mentioned a number of times and mentioned it on the campaign stump. It was definitely an issue that people were aware of, but we really do need to kind of sound the alarm and get them to act on the things that they you know, said were important while they were uh, campaigning. So uh, any have, anyone have thoughts on that story? They wanna, any two cents they wanna add? I think, I think it's imperative that we, you know, this is, this is our backyard. This is Kentucky. I mean, I, I go across the state all the time and I, you know, I just don't wanna be still on this. I wanna act on this and, and I feel that's a, a good call to action. It's not our call to action today, but I feel like our, our health is important. We have to be able to live in a place. Yeah, we do. We need to live in a place. And it just makes sense that that place, you should also be able to breathe the air without getting leukemia. Uh, all right. So uh, Annabelle or Kimberly, anything you want to uh, add on that story before we move on? Um, All right. Um, so uh, let's go. I'm sorry, Annabelle, did I cut you off? It wasn't important. <laughs> no, it was. Come on. Just reiterating how important like climate environmental stuff is because I'm young. I mean, considered to y'all, I'm young. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I, I don't really know why you need to put a dig into us. Like, yeah, you can just be young. You don't have, the, in comparison to what, like, yeah, ancient tree, ancient redwoods. Yes, you're young. I'm young compared to ancient redwoods. So, you know, but like, you're young. That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Enjoy that, youth. You know, maybe I can't if we don't act on climate stuff. Um, 
my generation is going to really pay for it eventually. And then like our kids, I don't like kids, so not my kids, but someone else's kids, they're going to pay for it. So we really need to get this together, y'all. Amen. Despite I might, you know, whether I'm young or old or whatever, I still think that it's important we clean up our air, you know, like climate change, right? It's like, oh yeah, it's not just the kind of like long-term and ongoing impacts impacts the climate. It's also in the short run, our fossil fuel uh, you know, energy economy screws us over, right? Whether it's coal, which we've talked about, you know, on this show a number of times, or our friends from Martin County and how it screwed up their water. Now this like, oh crap, it's also the refinery that's poisoning the community in Eastern Kentucky. Uh, so there's the short-term impacts, but then also the, you know, the, the longer term, which aren't really that long term anymore, right? You know, like Ken said, like 30 years to get our act together. That's now, you know, really, I mean, so lots to do there. And let's not, you know, and I'll be honest, a lot of tension on Biden. We talk about Biden on climate a ton. Where, where's Andy Bashir on this? I mean, come on. It's not like Andy Bashir's a good guy. He's doing the right things on COVID because, you know, he understands the science. He listens to experts. So why doesn't that also carry over onto you know, climate and the environment? He's had a very, very low profile on environmental issues and climate issues. I don't know that I've ever heard him talk about it, but there's a lot that can be done at the state level to move our, uh, our energy uh, away from coal and uh, or towards cleaner sources. You know, we talked about the Public Service Commission, you know, a couple weeks ago about how they're trying to take away rooftop solar because the utilities wanted them to. Uh, you know, there's, we need leadership, 100%. We need leadership at the federal level. We need it at the state level. Uh, and Andy Bashir, as much as he's a great guy, should not be off the hook uh, on, on those issues as well. To, to defend uh, Bashir, he's like been kind of, you know, there's been a pandemic. <laughs> there's a little pandemic that's happening. <laughs> he's been pretty focused on. But that, that would be uh, possibly because of uh, the pandemic could be happening because of climate change and some of those viruses and some of this stuff is happening because our climate is changing uh, and that is a problematic thing for disease in the future. 100%. Kimberly, what you got? I would, I would say this. I would say this, actually. Um, so many times you have pockets all over Kentucky that have these same essential uh, problems. I won't even call them challenges. They've moved beyond challenges to actual problems. And here in Louisville, I will say that uh, there's an area of town here called Rubber Town and the Chickasaw area. I remember when I was very, very young and I would come here for the summers, my stepdad was a chemist for Ashland Oil. We did have refineries of that caliber here in Kentucky. Um, also, I remember that DuPont got into a lot of trouble because especially in these communities that I'm speaking of are vastly populated by African-Americans. And they were seeing studies done and research that a lot of people that lived in these uh, high toxic areas were actually getting cancer and emphysema, uh, COPD, even though they had never smoked. So that's still a battle that's going on right now in Louisville, Kentucky. Although Ashland is gone, uh, there are other companies that have come in uh, throughout the years and it's still not where it needs to be. Hundred percent, and uh, you know the Rubbertown story for sure is one that you know the story of communities organizing to hold these you know industries accountable to you know reduce their toxic burden, uh, and there's some amazing organizing there. But more to be done always. All right, so we're going to move on. We've got um, uh, we've got our guest for tonight. Uh, very excited, very glad uh, that this individual is going to be joining us again. Uh, Josh Mers, who's the uh, chair of the Fayette County Democrats. Uh, and uh, Josh, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, although I got to say that uh, the first uh, 20, uh, 25 minutes or so of the show tonight has been like extremely heavy. And uh, like, I feel like we need to uplift people <laughs> and, and maybe put a put a, a little happy story in here or something. You got some jokes? <laughs> <laughs> All I have are dad jokes. My favorite is the, how does the ocean say hello? How does it say hello? Yeah, nice. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna be happy. We're gonna be uplifting. Um, 
what did the salmon say when it ran into the wall? Damn. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, you're right there with me. <laughs> Northwest joke. Uh, Northwest dad joke. All right. So, uh, but we're excited to have you on because there's some stuff going on that um, I'll be honest. We recruited uh, our members. We talked about reorg. You came out, you talked about reorg. We, we spread the word about this process with the weird title called reorg, giving people a chance to help shape and help lead and help engage uh, the Democratic Party. And they answered the call, Josh. I am very excited to say that in Montgomery County, like 100% of the 100% of the people on the Montgomery County precinct committees are folks that we talk to, folks we work with, our activists. They are now looking at us, going, uh, "What? What now? <laughs> what are we doing now? We didn't necessarily sign up to, you know, to take on." the leadership of this county completely. So um, yeah, uh, where are we in the process uh, and what should we be thinking about for our next steps? So, you know, first of all, reorganization that, you know, we just kind of, we run around and call it reorg. It's one of the greatest things about our party uh, in that we completely reorganized the party from the foundation up uh, all the way from, you know, from our precinct level committees, which is your local neighborhood, all the way to our state central executive committee, which is the governing body the entire Kentucky Democratic Party. <clears throat> What's amazing is every four years we reorganize it and we're in the middle of that. And right now we're at the point to where it's kind of the confusing part <laughs> because it turns into, uh, it turns into now there's very big differences between what Jefferson and Fayette are doing and what the other 118 counties are doing. Um, so everybody except for Jefferson and Fayette are now electing their actual county executive committees. And that comes from the voting portion of that are the folks that, uh, were elected to the precinct committees. And of course, every precinct committee could have a man, woman, or non-binary could fit in either spot, uh, and a youth member under 35 or 35 and under. Um, those folks then get to nominate and vote for in those other 118 counties, they get to nominate and vote for. Uh, their county executive committee, uh, which will then elect their county chair and vice chair. Now, here in Fayette County, uh, as you're, you're, you know, you and I are in the same legislative district. And so we're getting to see the legislative district process where Fayette County is broken up into 10 LDs. And we're going to elect a chair and a vice chair from each L legislative district. So, you know, if you're downtown, it's going to be the 77th or the 75th. You're going to elect a chair and a vice chair. Um, then we will move on to elect the county chair and the county vice chair. And after that, we'll constitute the at-large members, uh, which are legislative district. So they're bound by the, the state house district, if you will. Uh, but they'll join the chair and the vice chair of that legislative district to make up the overall um, county party for Fayette County. Uh, we're also, there's two other positions that if you're in the process, you probably saw, we didn't talk a lot about. Uh, every legislative district has to elect delegates to the state convention. Um, so we're, we're doing that. And that's the folks that basically get to vote on the state central executive committee. Um, and then we're also electing a, uh, a credentials committee member from each legislative district and an alternate. And that person just has kind of a, a ceremonial duty to help bring the state convention together. That's kind of where we're at. Nominations for legislative district chair and the other two positions or vice chair and the other two positions closes on May the 10th. <clears throat> so you've got until Monday to make your nominations. Uh, and then we will vote, I believe it's the 15th through the 18th. That's not right, it's the 13th through the 15th. But now I just made myself question. So I'm gonna go back and look to make sure I just said the right thing. It is the 15th through the 18th is when we will actually vote for our legislative district chairs and vice chairs, or if you're one of the 118 other counties besides Jefferson Fayette, you'll be voting for your county executive committee. So what, you know, what is a, if you're talking to a, you know, a Progress Kentucky supporter who's in one of these counties who I, you know, twisted their arm to get involved uh, and now they're like, all right, well, okay, what do I need to do? Like, as I'm gonna elect, you know, I'm gonna nominate people to this leg legislative district kind of chair, vice chair thing, or I'm gonna nominate somebody to my county executive committee. Like what does a healthy county executive committee look like? What, what kind of activists or what kind of people should we be looking for to take these leadership roles or, you know, and what does it require of them once they're in these leadership roles? So first off, you know, looking at what should a county executive committee look like, it should look like the Democratic Party of that county. 
Um, you know, so here in Fayette County, we're very, you know, we're very proud that, that our county party reflects the Democrats of Fayette County. So we've got folks from varying levels of socioeconomic status. We've got folks that are from different communities. We've got folks from across the entire county. Uh, we've got uh, um, folks that are definitely farther to the left than the mainstream. And we've got folks that are more to the middle. So we've got a good just, you know, capsule of what is the Democratic Party in Fayette County. And that's what it should look like. You know, in Montgomery County, you're going to have, you know, some folks that definitely have a very progressive stance, but you're also going to have some folks that have a more conservative stance as part of the, uh, uh, the Democratic Party. And the great part is we pull all those folks together and we make up what is uh, our county Democratic Party and then the state Democratic Party. What should they do? We've done for so long in Kentucky that we've asked people to be precinct committee folks by saying, all you got to do is show up on one day and then vote. And that's it. And that's what we've done. We've not done a, a good job. We've not done a job at all of getting those folks at the precinct level involved with, you know, being our, our, our core volunteer base and being the folks that, that really manage their neighborhood. Uh, because, you know, if I walk into a neighborhood in uh, Montgomery County and say that I'm the chair of the Fayette County Democrats and I'm telling, you know, you need to go vote for our candidates, it's a whole different conversation than, you know, Jane Doe, who lives in that neighborhood and says, yeah, I live two houses down from you and I really want to tell you why this candidate is important. Uh, so we've got to do a better job as county parties and as a state party of getting our precinct committees involved in the process beyond just showing up one day and voting for their LD or their county uh, parties. Yep. So you mentioned the kind of knocking on doors. Like, I feel like that is kind of, of course, I'm, you know, I'm a little biased because I look at this through a field lens. I've done a lot of field organizing, but I think that's like, fundamental to the work that we should be doing at the precinct level is talking to other voters in the precinct, uh, you know, making sure folks know who our candidates are and what they stand for. Why are they a better choice than, you know, the other party? Uh, you know, uh, I think I've said before, I feel like the Democratic Party really is a PR problem. You know, I think our, our policies are actually quite popular, uh, but there's a, you know, there's a disconnect between the policies and the politicians that, you know, vote for those policies, right? So, and a lot of our policies get overwhelmed by some like key hot button issues. Uh, so uh, I think it's really important that, you know, that's something that precinct committees look at as an opportunity. What other things should, you know, would a, you know, a legislative district committee or the county party kind of committee, what would they, what should they be doing uh, beyond like that door knocking and engaging Democrats that way? So engaging Democrats at, uh, at election time is, you know, we're typically pretty good at that. Um, and we don't ever want to stop doing that. Right. But we have a problem that so often, especially in, uh, um, you know, minority communities or, or communities of color, we show up every November and say, Hey, the democratic party loves you. Where are we the rest of the year? Uh, and we've got to do a better job as, as, as county parties to showing our counties and, uh, um, and especially you know, disadvantaged or, or, or communities that are just different than the traditional you know, democratic executive leadership, right? Uh, the communities that look a little different than you and I. Um, we've got to do a better job of showing up on a regular basis. Let's be a, make sure we're a part of those communities so that we can learn what are the, the, the things that we need to advocate as, as, as county party volunteers? And that's, that's, that's going to be huge as we move forward as a county party, because we have in many ways lost that connection. It used to be that, you know, we were so great and we would have the, the, the kitchen table conversations. We were so good as a party at connecting to, 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 to folks that, 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 that were just average people out there. And, and we've just lost that in a way because, the other side's gotten really good at doing bumper stickers. Like they can take their policies and slap it on a bumper sticker with two or three words. And it's hard for us to beat it because just like in this case where you asked me a question, I've now gone on a 6,000 word uh, uh, lecture about, about the county party. And, and that's where we're missing. We've got to find a way to connect to the folks that make up the Democratic Party again. We've got to do a better job of getting out into these communities. Amen. That sounds great. Uh, Kimberly, uh, you have a question for, for Josh? Okay. Yes, I do. Um, previously, um, Josh, you know, like you were saying, most of the precinct people really didn't do too much. 
Um, but when we are voting for the people that will be the LD vice and on the committee and things like that, I'm just a little confused as we really talk about this. Um, on the third level, that's the at large. Am I correct? Yes. And what exactly does the at large do? So I want to I want to preface that uh, Jefferson County does do their at large process a little differently than Fayette County does. Um, we uh, once we constitute here in Fayette County, once we constitute the county chair, county vice chair, the LD chair, and the LD vice chair, then we work as a committee to nominate and fill the at large positions. Uh, what the at large positions are. So in, in, in one of the other, you know, 118 counties, they immediately elect their entire county party, which has a minimum of 10 people and a maximum of 20 people for those other 118 counties, unless there's been an exception made for whatever reason. Um, so they immediately elect all 10 to 20. We will elect again in Fayette County, we're going to elect the LD chairs and the vice chairs. And then you know, for example, the 88th has, I believe it's three at-large members, the 75th, the 76th, and the 77th, I think have uh, three or four, the 39th has one. And so we'll add those positions. Now, what they become, they are full voting members of the executive committee. Uh, so these folks are, you know, the they, they will lead, you know, subcommittees of the, of the county party. They will participate in, you know, any kind of elections and so forth. One of the biggest things that a lot of folks don't realize is that the county parties have a huge say or a huge influence on special elections. Um, you know, so a great example of, you know, Senator Reggie Thomas from the 13th here in Fayette County, you know, he was originally elected in a special election when Kathy Stein vacated the seat to take on uh, to when she was appointed to the judiciary. Um, so the county party in Fayette County had to determine who the nominee was going to be. So it's an opportunity as an at-large member to have influence on, you know, who that special election nominee is going to be. Um, it is if there's a chair vacancy, the, uh, uh, the at-large members are the folks that have to determine who the new chair is going to be for uh, the county party. Um, if there's an LD vacancy, again, same thing. Uh, so, you know, as far as budget, as far as planning, as far as anything major that the county party does, the LD at-large members make up the majority of the actual county party. Uh, that's super helpful. One quick question I was thinking about. So as the, you know, the KDPs, the state level, you know, then these county parties that, you know, should have between 10 and 20 uh, representatives or uh, members of their, their, their committee. So, you know, in a, in a, in a state like, or a county like Montgomery County, where, you know, the Democrats are certainly not, you know, not as strong as they could be or should be, or they've historically been, it's going to be a challenge for them to get the, the 10 people on that, you know, that, that county executive committee, what, when they are there, what do they get? Like, do they get resources to work with? Do they have to fundraise their own resources? Is it like, what's this, you know, what do you do as the county executive committee? And is, are there, are there any tools that the party, you know, state level party gives you to do your work of engaging and uh, motivating Democrats? So it's tough. Um, it's very tough, especially, you know, the, the, the farther away from Lexington and Louisville that a county party is, uh, the tougher it becomes. Uh, you know, we have a real divide between um, between Lexington and Louisville's or Jefferson and Fayette County's parties and, you know, Eastern Kentucky parties, um, because we have a solid Democratic base. You know, for example, you know, we received a donation to Fayette County Democratic Party today for $500 just randomly out of the blue. We didn't ask for it. It just showed up on Act Blue. A $500 donation may be the, the maximum contribution, like total, that a, an Eastern Kentucky Park County party may receive, period. Um, so there's definitely a financial disparity. Um, as far as tools that the, uh, uh, the state provides, the greatest tool that we get access to is what's called Vote Builder. Um, and with Vote Builder, we're able to really dial in, think of Vote Builder as like a, a super, super um, great CRM, uh, a customer uh, management type tool. Um, so we've got the ability to look at, you know, through the it's a vote builder comes in through the DNC and the Republicans have their own version of, of, of a similar program, but we're able to dial in and look at a precinct. So I'm in the orchard grass precinct and with vote builder, you could look me up and you could see how I score based on, you know, the, the advertising type things, you know, the scoring system, 
you'd find that I'm a strong Democrat. You'd find that I'm a supporter of uh, marriage equality. Uh, but you'd also be able to see, am I a voter? Uh, and by that, we can look at, we can't tell, you know, who somebody voted for, but we've got the ability to know whether or not you showed up to vote. And so when we're looking at doors to knock, when we're looking at where to spend our resources, you know, we will target different messages to different types of voters. You know, a voter that shows up every election that's a Democrat and, and votes in five of the last five elections, it's a different message to them than a voter that votes in three of five. Um, we're just trying to firm up support versus the three to five. We're trying to make sure they get out to vote. Uh, so that's probably the greatest resource we get. And the county parties get access to that free of charge. Um, whereas, you know, a candidate would have to actually pay to have access to that. Um, the other part that, you know, the county party does a good job of, of you know, they've got a staff there that will help with messaging, um, you know, for a lot of the, the smaller areas, uh, KDP's uh, public, uh, uh, public affairs or their, their press department, if you will, will put out, you know, sample uh, uh, editorial type that you can send into your local paper. Um, they will support, you know, I've had multiple times where something has come up that, you know, one of the local news stations here in uh, Lexington have asked for comment on something. Well, you know, I'm a volunteer, right? So I, I don't have this professional, you know, media relations person. So I'll reach out to KDP and ask, hey, I need some talking points to, to help me just better understand this. And we have we all have access to that as uh, as, as as county parties. Cool. And I know Ken's got a question for you. Hello, Josh. We're, we're friends on Facebook. It's good to see you again. I uh, for the first time uh, because of the show, honestly, uh, I signed up to participate on the precinct level. And so like, I'm definitely confused. I, I know that, that there are certain people in my precinct that are running for LD and I think that's great and I want them to win, but I, I, I'm not sure, are you guys going to send us this stuff or is this, uh, like, I, it's, it's, it seems like we're kind of organizing, which I, I don't know if they had Slack before we, we made a Slack. We, we are, I, I think we're pretty excited to like reach out into our communities and gather together. Um, is this, are we doing like something that's new or is this something that you you've, you've been doing like just for our precinct level kind of thing. So the biggest thing to, to really understand on reorg is that this is the first time we've ever done it as a virtual process. Um, it used to be that precinct committee uh, elections would be, you know, on a Saturday at 10 a.m. You would show up at your voting location and you would constitute your precinct committee. And then you would elect a chair out of the three people if you had three. Then a couple of weeks later, we'd all show up, you know, here in uh, Lexington, we typically use the uh, speech and hearing center. They have a, a great space for us. Um, we would all show up. Uh, on this one Saturday and we would break off into different parts of the gymnasium and we would elect our LD chair and our vice chair and then the LD chairs would get spirited off over to a spot and we would elect our county chair and our vice chair. Um, so there wasn't the same, you know, like length of the process. It was, you know, wham, bam, we're done. Um, so, you know, for example, setting up the Facebook groups for, uh, you know, Aaron, uh, again, same uh, legislative district, set up a Facebook group. We've never done that before for our legislative district. And that's great. We're getting an opportunity to, to, to maybe get to know people in our own legislative district a little bit better. The Slack channel that you, uh, you set up, that's fantastic. Um, as far as what you're being sent, you should have gotten a, an email from the reorganization process that said, you know, you can nominate. And you go in and you can nominate the LD chair, the vice chair, the delegate, and uh, credentials uh, person. Um, once those nominations close, we'll reach out to all of the nominees or we as in KDP will reach out to all the nominees and we'll ask for maybe small blurbs about that person. Um, why are they running? What do they hope to accomplish? Uh, then you will get a ballot on the morning of the 15th of May that will list out who's running for your positions. Uh, and you'll have an opportunity over those three days to hopefully be able to use the Slack channel, to use the Facebook groups, to, to use email and so forth to, uh, um, to, to talk to these people. And then ideally, if somebody is running for LD chair or vice chair, they have already started to reach out to the precinct committee people. 
um, and, 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 and let them know uh, and tell folks, you know, why they want to be the LD chair, or the vice chair. And the, the advice that I've given to everybody that's reached out and talked to me is treat it like a campaign. You are campaigning for votes of a small select group. Um, so, you know, do that. The, the only thing in the voting that's, you know, going to make any, everything even more confusing, and I even hesitate to break it up, but every precinct is weighted. Um, so to give you an idea, my precinct in the 88th has my vote as the precinct committee is worth, I think like 185 votes. Um, another precinct in the 88th has 312 votes per person. Uh, if you go into the 76th, into the Kenwick area, you've got the Walton and uh, Victory precincts. And those precincts have, you know, eight and 900 votes uh, uh, per person because they are so, there is just a greater concentration of registered Democrats in, in those precincts. So for the LD chairs, for the LD vice chair, the delegates and so forth, for those LD conventions, the precincts are weighted. You will actually vote for every registered Democrat in your precinct. A lot. It's a lot of power. <laughs> it, it feels powerful. I mean, I, I think there's goodness to to living in a neighborhood with a lot of people. I enjoy city life, unlike some people in Childsburg. <laughs> I love city life. What are you talking about? No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> uh, so, so Fayette County is clearly getting more progressive. Uh, it seems like we're we were number three in the nation of uh, like Lexington, Fayette County and, and gains for, you know, more Democrats and more, we become bluer. Uh, what, what are some of the things the Fayette County are the what the democratic party, not the Fayette County uh, to that, that you know of that we're going to do to, to outreach into rural areas. Cause I know that's a lot of what's on my mind. Uh, and I, I'm sure that there are folks, uh, who are kind of excited about being a part of this process and reaching out into not only our community, but into other communities outside of Fayette County. Yeah, no, I mean, no doubt Fayette County has definitely grown more progressive. Um, you are correct. We were, it was third or fourth as far as metropolitan areas that uh, the greatest swing against like that Donald Trump got worse. Uh, the thing that I'll, I'll remind folks is we're probably, you know, registration in Fayette County is probably 60, 62 percent Democrat. But our Republicans are a different brand of Republicans in Fayette County for the most part. Now, we've got some of the Republicans that are like, oh, my gosh, how can you possibly still believe that way in 2021? But we've also got Republicans that are, you know, they, they, they meet that suburban Republican definition, if you will. And they're not as they're very physically conservative, but they're not socially conservative. And so it's a different Republican than you see in a lot of areas of Kentucky. Now, you bring up the greatest question and the greatest problem that the Kentucky Democratic Party has, period, facing us, is how do we bridge the divide between the urban and rural parts of our party? Uh, because you have two different takes on it. You have that, yes, we have to be able to talk about the issues that are affecting rural Kentucky. And I grew up in rural Kentucky myself, um, so I know what Democrats in rural Kentucky are like. Um, we have to be able to bridge that divide. But here's the thing, and this is what I argue when we, we get on the statewide uh, level on, on, on a regular basis, is that if we move so far to the middle as a party to try to have that connection with rural Kentucky, to, to have that connection, that we forsake the beliefs of what makes the urban areas become more democratic, then you're going to lose the urban Democrats. And, you know, I don't know really how to describe it, but without Lexington and Louisville, we do not have the ability to, to, to affect an election, if you will, on a statewide level. It's important that we go back to those kitchen table type issues and we talk about that we are the party for working families of Kentucky, that we can have smart budgeting, that we can you know, balance our budget not on the backs of our working families of Kentucky, but we can do the things that invest in infrastructure in Eastern Kentucky, that we can invest in, in uh, wireless internet, that we can invest in our educational opportunities, that we cannot forsake these areas that we've long forgotten about as, as Democrats um, without giving up the fact that we believe in accountability for our law enforcement, that we believe in you know, 
fairness, that we believe that folks should be able to love whoever they love. We don't have to give up those parts of the issues in order to talk about the other kitchen table issues, because I promise you, infrastructure is just as important to me, but I want to be able to drive on that new road with my husband without being, you know, bullied. Yeah, well, the Biden infrastructure plan, I think we had a call to action last week uh, to call our senators and representatives and say we need this uh, infrastructure plan. I feel like that is a big democratic avenue uh, that is very important uh, That because the coal jobs are leaving. And I've talked to coal miners and they've said, you know, it's not coming back. So it's it's just like, what what do we do? We need some infrastructure. You know, we, we've got to be able to build something and have some kind of education system. And yeah, you know, I, mean- I think that's all important stuff. The, the challenge is that coal, you know, it, it, we have too often get caught up on the industry of coal and we forget about the culture of coal. Imagine if you came into central Kentucky and said, you know, well, the horse industry is a dying industry and we're not going to do anything to support it. You would have a lot of people really upset, not because, you know, like I have no reliance on the horse racing industry or the, or the thoroughbred industry, but I like the fact that Lexington has such an exposure to it. Um, you know, as coal was a struggling industry in a lot of these communities across eastern Kentucky, we failed to, to bring in infrastructure, to bring in educational spending to try to replace that industry. Uh, and we had a lot of folks that were just left holding the bill that Democratic governors of this state failed to, uh, to provide for them. Um, we've got to do a better job at that. We've got to recognize and own up that we didn't do our part for the last 40 years. Uh, but the Republicans also have to quit trying to blame the EPA for coal being a, a struggling or dying industry. Um, it's a sign of the times and, and, and coal is just not what it used to be. Yeah. So I think uh, to close out this interview, and again, Josh, thanks so much for being generous with your time. Uh, I want to throw it to our young Democrat because I hear Josh, I think you aged out. You're no longer a young Democrat. Is that true? Listen here now. I will come through the screen. I have got until September the 1st before I age out. I I turned 40 on September the 1st and officially my young Democratic career of goodness, the last 22 years will come to a close. Oh, man, I hope you're having a big party, a big send off for your. (laughs) But no, uh, the next wave of young Democratic leaders, uh, our own Annabelle Nagel. Okay, so this is just like the most basic question possible but what do you feel like is the most like why should young people be getting involved with this like specifically specifically like the high school age like i'm the chair of the kentucky high school dems and we did a whole lot of outreach and i feel like only like two people actually did it so what do you think is like a good inspiration or whatever for us Uh, you know i mean you don't want the direction of the party decided by people that have no clue what Snapchat is, that have no clue. I got told the other day that Facebook was for old people now. Um, but you don't want us to make the decision for you. And that was part of what always got me when I was you know, 18, 19, 20, early in college. That's what got me involved is I, I'll never forget thinking that, you know, that there are US senators that don't know how to use uh, a, a computer. They don't, they didn't. Uh, and that that's ridiculous that, you know, how can somebody that is 70 years older than me ever possibly understand the world that I'm living in and, and growing up in? Uh, and one of my greatest, and, and, and Aaron, I'll have to try to get it to you, Aaron, so that you can share it if you choose. There was this uh, uh, joke video that was put out that uh, was saying, you know, it, it was a group of older people talking to young people saying, you know, you don't vote but I do. And saying, you know, like one of the lines was climate change. I don't care. I'll be dead before the earth is gone, but you won't. Uh, but we have a, a serious problem of, of connecting with youth, you know what I mean? And, and so the more youth that we have involved in our local party and in our state party, the better, the more opportunities we have to be able to connect with youth and, and, and pass that torch on. Um, we need that voice. Uh, you know, you see, you know, I, I don't like to admit that I'm old, but you know, like Aaron had to point out, I'm turning 40. So I'm not going to be a young Democrat anymore. Um, and I have a different view of the world than, than you do, Annabelle. And 
my my view of the world is is not the only view that needs to have a voice in the in the Fayette County Democratic Party. We need voices like yours. I'm so excited that Lamar Allen uh, stepped up with a great crew to to reconstitute the Fayette County Young Democrats. Um, it's 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 amazing to see people getting involved and to see youth taking on uh, an, an interest with something so like just convoluted like reorganization and wanting to be a part of of not dismantling the party but be a part of fixing it and and helping us move on to that next generation of what is the party going to look like in 10 15 20 years that's why youth need to be there uh, it's going to be your party there's going to come a point that the people like me are going to sit on the back row and say all right it's your turn um don't you want to have an opportunity to shape what the party looks like when the gavel gets handed over That's great. All right. So thanks again, Josh. Uh, I think we are, so we've got our crew, they're engaged in the reorg. They now got a little bit more insight. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, I, I still think it's, you know, the important thing is keep your eye on what we want to get out of the D Democratic Party. And, you know, I think there's a whole lot of people who are nervous about, you know, affiliating with the Democratic Party uh, and, you know, want to see the right kind of policies, but don't necessarily know that they trust the that, that entity to help shepherd them through. But the reality of it is like, if we don't elect more Democrats, we are just, <laughs> we are not gonna get better as a state. We've seen what Republican leadership gets us. And it's, you know, trying to take away the governor's power and give away our taxes to corporations. Like, is that what you want? The Democrats are fighting for, you know, uh, I think, you know, the right thing or closer to the right thing. And the more engaged we get to hold the Democratic party to account, I think we'll get even better. So uh, anyway, thanks so much, Josh. Thanks for your views. Thanks for your information. Uh, and uh, we will uh, see you, I'm sure, quite soon. Absolutely. Thank you all. And uh, keep up the good work. Awesome. Kimberly, uh, how is your audio? <laughs> Can we hear you? <laughs> nope. Nope, I can't hear you. All right. Your phone is not coming through. Um, how about there? Oh, oh, here we go. Try now. I'm unmuted now. <laughs> I feel like somebody's grandmother, like... <laughs> You know, Josh was talking about you when he was talking about this <laughs> old disconnected Democrats. No, I think here's what I like about this exchange, Kimberly. It's a throwback because I feel like there were like there was an you know episode after episode after episode where they, we always had a Kimberly mute issue, and then those went away for like months and months and months, and now they're kind of like back with a vengeance. You know, <laughs> it's <a> throwback. <laughs> it's a TBT Wednesday. <laughs> Or is it TB, TBW, Throwback Wednesday? Yes, it's Throwback Wednesday. Thank you, Aaron, so much. So uh, now we're having our call to action. Yes, 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 our call to action. And what are you guys going to do? We need you to join us. Share, share, share. You know, it is so important to share these um, podcasts in every group that you belong to. Uh, I looked at how many groups I belong to and I could not believe I belong to like over 200 groups. I, I like, and there are people that are belong to more. Put this in all of your groups, um, share it in your messenger, you know, just share it out because we are talking about issues that are very, very important. And so we just need your support and we appreciate it. Next up, I think we have uh, Doug Price is right. Is that correct, Miss Annabelle and Mr. Ken Howell? Welcome to another edition of Doug Price is Right. In November 2020, I did a segment on the five worst things Mitch has done in his role as a U.S. Senator. Coming in third was his role involving Citizens United. Here's a quick recap. In 2002, Congress passed the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, BCRA, to control the money flowing into politicians. 
Mitch filed a suit against the BCRA in 2003. He lost that battle, which may have led to his efforts to sack the courts. Ultimately, the 2010 Citizens United case opened the flow of unlimited cash into Mitch's pockets and virtually all politicians, as the courts ruled, giving money was protected under the First Amendment right of free speech. From Ian Milhauser, who is a senior correspondent at Vox, the Supreme Court heard a major case starting on April 26 that could fundamentally alter the court's approach to laws requiring political organizations to disclose their donors, a change that could make it much easier for big spenders to hide the ways they seek to influence policy and elections. A lot has changed since the Citizens United ruling tucked a pro-disclosure ruling into its broader ruling against campaign finance limits. Four of the eight justices who supported disclosure rules have since left the court, and three of them were replaced by judges who are significantly more conservative than the person they replace. Which brings us to Americans for Prosperity Foundation. The plaintiffs in the case, which include a conservative advocacy group associated with the billionaire Koch brothers and the Thomas More Law Center, a conservative law firm that claims it was formed to promote America's Judeo-Christian heritage, they seek to undercut pro-disclosure decisions such as Citizens United. And with six Republican appointees on the Supreme Court, they have a particularly good chance of prevailing. In April 2021, U.S. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island and Representative Hank Johnson of Georgia co-authored an op-ed titled The Dark Money Tipping Point. A quote from there, but the real payoff could come in Americans for Prosperity Foundation versus Rodriguez, where the court may decide that a right-wing donor elite has a constitutional right to secrecy when it uses front groups to influence politics and courts. More than 60 groups joined the case by filing briefs in support of allowing less control of dark money. The court case started in May of 2019, and on March 1, 2021, Senator Mitch McConnell, our own Mitch, filed a brief in support of allowing contributions to be hidden based upon the First Amendment. As we all know, Mitch believes that anyone should be able to give him money, and if these contributions can be untraceable, then the better it is for Mitch. My bottom line, if Mitch is for this, then more than likely it will benefit him, not we the people or the taxpayers. Can we say MBM, money bags Mitch? There are two methods we the people affect decisions made by the U.S. Supreme Court. The most obvious way is that public opinion influences who is elected to the presidency and the Senate and through them affects who is nominated and confirmed to the Supreme Court. Today, the Democrats control the Senate and the presidency. The other way is to add additional justices to the U.S. Supreme Court, and we can work to make this change. Progress Kentucky, work with us to create a more progressive Kentucky. wonderful Doug Price. He always does it right. So right now, uh, just want to say a good shout out to Josh Mears for coming in today and giving us all that great information. And uh, I guess I'm going to hand it over to Miss Annabelle to close us out for the evening. Okay, here we go. Um, are y'all ready to help turn Kentucky purple? Um, join Progress Kentucky. We're really like we're actually really close to 4,000 likes on Facebook. We're less than 100 away, I believe. So if you're not already following and liking us, go do that right now and invite all of your friends. Um, we know our Commonwealth also needs more kernels of truth to call out the propaganda and ridiculous claims of people like Mitch, Rand, and Andy Barr. Um, and we are currently working on a plan to reach out to our neighbors and mobilize folks from around the state to join us. But this is going to take a little bit of money. Um, our plan is to 
print up some postcards. We're going to handwrite them, send them out to people, and just help spread the word about how we can turn Kentucky purple. So if you've got just any extra money laying around, we would love that. Um, I believe our app blue account is linked in the comments or on the screen or it's somewhere right now. So you can just head over there. It's nice, secure, and safe. So just literally any amount, like 50 cents, $50. I don't even know if you can do 50 cents, but you can try. Um, so also big shout out to Ken with Couchfire Media. He literally does all of this. Um, he is behind the scenes working hard all the time on this. So yay, Ken. Um, you can check out more of his stuff at couchfiremedia.com. And our co-host Kimber Kimberly, um, she has a show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on the Jones Report radio program, which is on Facebook. And then our, another co-host who's sometimes here, um, Denise Gray, she also has another show, very exciting. It's the second Sunday of every month at um, the Bluegrass Activist Alliance's Facebook page. And then one final thank you to Nate. He's not with us today, but he does all of the great music. Um, you can find more of his stuff at natosongs.com. So yeah, good show.